Well, let me ask a question as we start today. What did you want to be when you grew up? And this is not a rhetorical question. I actually want to hear from some people. What did you want to be when you were growing up? Firefighter? A soldier? A ghostbuster? You nailed it. Third string, third string NFL quarterback? Zookeeper? That's a good one. What else, huh? Astronaut? Secretary? A dick? Wow. We need to talk to your parents. You can do anything. Woo! Anything else? A baker. A baker? That'd be good. I wanted to be a, a weatherman. And I wanted to be a weatherman for a couple different reasons. I only get to be on TV, but one of the most formative movies for me as a, as a young person was the movie Twister. And when I saw Twister back in 1994, I guess it was somewhere in there, 94, 95, I wanted to chase tornadoes. That was my goal. And obviously I did not reach that goal and I'm, I'm where I'm at. I started thinking about this because my son's been talking about this, like what he wants to be when he grows up. And right now he wants to be, he has two, he wants to be a pastor and a scientist at the same time. So I don't know how that's going to work, but, but go for it, I guess. I'm down with that. Um, it, but it's kind of sobering to realize that by the time that he graduates and goes to college, there's jobs that exist right now that just won't exist anymore. One of my first jobs, if, if not, well, not my first job, but one of my first jobs was working at a movie rental store. Remember those? Gosh, I miss those so much. It was so fun to go rent. And that job doesn't even exist. So there's jobs that, that he probably may even want that by the time he actually graduates and goes into the workforce are not even going to exist before because, because everything is changing so fast. In fact, the top 10 most sought after jobs in 2010 did not even exist in 2004. And that's eight years ago. That's, that's old information there. In fact, there's now more information that we're, we're given every single day. I mean, for instance, they, they found that, that one week of the New York Times, if you read the New York Times for, for one week, you have consumed more information about your world than the average person in the 18th century would have gotten in an entire lifetime. We have such an onslaught of information constantly changing. We will produce more information, more data this year on this earth than in the previous 5,000 years combined, just this year. Our technolo technological information, it doubles every two years. So by the time that those of us who are starting college this fall as a freshman, by the time you're a junior, half of what you learn is outdated. By the time you're a junior, in just two years of college, if you're in college, that should make you a little depressed probably at this point. I know, that's crazy. Things are changing so fast. And think how fast things can change in your own life and just your relationships. Life can change in an instant, can it? When that cancer diagnosis comes, life changes in an instant. When that divorce you did not expect comes, life changes in an instant. Or, or when you have a broken relationship with your family or you lose a family member or a friend, it changes in an instant. You know that everyone in this room will have something happen in their life where you just did not expect it. And all of a sudden, everything's different. It's a massive life change. It's not a matter of if for us. It's a matter of when 
Change is always, always coming. And in fact, these, it's these transitions and these struggles and the suffering that, that's the clearest means by which we actually see not only who we are, we see who our friends are. We're in a series closing it up today called Friended about what it means to be good friends and how to have healthy relationships because we believe as Jesus followers and especially the church should be a place of healthy vital relationships, lifelong deepening relationships. And we're looking at a story today that is really about one of the most powerful friendships that we see in the scriptures. It's a story today where someone encounters a life change that transforms them forever and not in a good way. And it's one of these stories that you can just literally skip over and not even realize you did. In my Bible, it's only five and a half pages. It's a book called Ruth. It comes right after Judges, and Ruth is the story of, 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 of primarily two women, Ruth and Naomi. And even though this took place thousands of years ago in a vastly, vastly different culture, these women have, have a story that I promise you, if we grasp hold of, can actually bring about some massive transformation. So I want to look at this at Ruth chapter 1. You're going to look on the screen or if you have your Bible, your app, whatever you need to do, open that up. But read along with me. Let's go into this story together. It says, During the time of the judges, there was a famine in the land. A man left Bethlehem in Judah with his wife and two sons to stay in the territory of Moab for a while. The man's name was Elimelech, and his wife's name was Naomi. The names of his two sons were Malan and Chilion. I love that name, Chilion. It's like Chilion out. Sorry, that was bad. These, they were Ephrathites. There's a lot of good names in this story. They, they were Ephrathites um, from Bethlehem in Judah. They entered the fields of Moab and settled there. Naomi's husband, Elimelech, died, and she was left with her two sons. Her two sons... Her sons took Moabite women as their wives, one named Orpah, like I said, great names in this story, Orpah, and the second was named Ruth. After they lived in Moab about 10 years, both Malan and Chilean also died, and Naomi was left without her two children and without her husband. So get past the funny names in the story that comes from a long time ago, and imagine for a second, you are a wife and you enter a famine and you have to go to a faraway land, a foreign land that you've never experienced before, different culture, different gods. You're going with your two sons and your husband. You get there, you're trying to settle in, you're trying to find work, you're trying to find food. And then all of a sudden, in the middle of everything, your husband dies. And after your husband dies, your two children die. This is as dark as it gets. And it says there, if we unpack this a little bit, it says in the time of the judges. So in the time of the judges, if you know anything about the Old Testament, that is one of, if not the darkest time that you'll read about in the Old Testament. They have completely forgotten about God. They have completely left behind their story. And it's just a lawless, crazy time. So, so Naomi is entering a time in her life that she did not expect that is incredibly, incredibly dark. Her husband's name is Elimelech, which means God is king. All of a sudden, that reality that God is king and can rule comes into question for Naomi. Changes come into her life. She cannot help. She did not bring this upon herself. She's only left with her two daughters-in-law from a completely different culture 
and context. And what you need to understand is in that time, a widow with no children and no husband, that's as about as low as you can get. You have to basically depend on the generosity of other people, but, but that there's absolutely no certainty at all in your life that you will be taken care of. So here she is. She's past the age of being able to be married again. And she has these two daughters who too are widows. And the story continues on. She decides she's going to head back home. Let's read together. It says that she and her daughters-in-law set out to return from the territory of Moab because she had heard in Moab that the Lord had paid attention to his people's need by providing them food. So she left the place where she had been living, accompanied by her two daughters-in-law, and traveled along the road leading back to the land of Judah. Naomi said to them, each of you go back to your mother's home. May the Lord show you kindness, show kindness to you as you have shown to, shown to me. May the Lord grant each of you rest in the house of their new husband. She kissed them and they wept loudly. They said to her, we insist on returning with you to your people. But Naomi replied, return home, my daughters. Why do you want to go with me? Am I able to have any more sons who could become your husbands? Return home, my daughters. Go on, for I am too old to have another husband. Even if I thought there was still hope for me to have a husband tonight and to bear sons, would you be willing to wait for them to grow up? Would you restrain yourselves from remarrying? No, my daughters, my life is too bitter for you to share because the Lord's hand has turned against me. Again, they wept loudly and Orpah kissed her mother-in-law, but Ruth clung to her. Naomi said, look, your sister-in-law has gone back to her people and to her gods. Follow your sister-in-law. So there's three women in the story, but really two of them actually have a choice. Orpah and Ruth. They have a choice in this moment to do what to most of us would seem absolutely sensible. Go back home and start over. The road ahead is incredibly hard, so just go back, find another husband, have kids, be accepted, go back to your old culture. Everything about that makes sense. Everything that Naomi is asking them to do, pleading with them to do, makes an incredible amount of sense because that's the easiest road ahead for them. And Orpah, Orpah decides to do that. Orpah listens to her and goes back. Now, the name Orpah actually means nape. Literally nape, like the back of your neck. And a lot of people think that that's the, that's the storyteller saying that's what Naomi was seeing whenever she released her, when she saw the back of her as she was walking away from her. Do you know what Ruth means? Ruth means friend. Ruth means friend. Naomi was sure, she says this in here, my life is too bitter to share. My circumstances are too terrible for you to be a part of. So as Orpah leaves, Ruth stays. And listen to what Ruth says to her. It says, but Ruth replied, don't plead with me to abandon you or to return and not follow you. For wherever you go, I will go. And wherever you live, I will live. Your people will be my people and your God will be my God. Where you die, I will die, and there I will be buried. May the Lord punish me and do so severely if anything but death separates you and me. 
When Naomi saw that Ruth was determined to go with her, she stopped talking to her. Ruth chose to stay. Ruth chose to walk with Naomi. And by choosing to walk with Naomi, Ruth is choosing to share in the circumstances of Naomi. She's choosing to share in the journey of Naomi, meaning she shares in the suffering of Naomi. When they leave, Naomi is certain that her life is unbearable, but someone says, your life is not so unbearable, I'm not willing to share that with you. That's love. In fact, I would say that you can't really love anybody unless you're willing to suffer with them, right? The word compassion literally means to suffer with. And, and I've never had a friend, I've never had a relationship that I knew that loved me that wasn't willing to walk in some deep suffering places with me. Think about the folks that have been with you, that have suffered with you. Aren't those the people, even that maybe you haven't seen in years, the people that have walked with you in the darkest places of your life, aren't those the people that have taught you love, that have taught you friendship? And it's exactly who Ruth is bringing about. That is real, real love, suffering, love, walking through compassion, love. Our culture has cheapened the idea of love so deeply that it's hard to even hear the word in the context of the scriptures anymore because we know love as something totally different than this kind of love. You see, we, our understanding of love is that it's primary, primarily a feeling and an emotion. So if my circumstances change, guess what happens? If my circumstances change, then my feelings will change with my circumstances. And so if my feelings change, then I no longer am loving you. And so I will change everything. I'll leave the relationship. Many of us in this room have experienced that type of cheap love before, haven't we? When things got hard, when things got, got difficult in your life, the circumstances changed, and all of a sudden the feelings were no longer there. If that's all love is, then that's worthless. And that's not the love that Ruth shows Naomi. Ruth shows her love that beyond the circumstances, beyond the feelings, there was a love present there that was way, way different. There's a word for this in the Hebrew that describes this kind of love. It's actually used 243 times in the Old Testament. It's, it's almost always describing the character of God's love. That word is chesed. You have to say it with me. Chesed. You can't say it without spitting on somebody in front of you to do it right. So do it with me here. Here we go. Chesed. Yes. Yes. Mazel tov. I love it. That's wonderful. Chesed is a word that, that like many Hebrew words, it's, it can't be summed up in one English word. It's, it's many different words in a concept together. It's a big, big word. It's usually translated as loving kindness, faithfulness, faithful love, or steadfast love. This is the kind of love that over and over in the scriptures, God describes as having for you and having for me. Listen in Psalms 25, 10, it says, all the Lord's ways show faithful love and truth to those who keep his covenant and decree. Psalms 36, 5 says, Lord, your faithful love reaches to the heaven, your faithfulness to the clouds. Ralph Davis, who writes some great commentaries, he says, chesed is, is not merely love, but loyal love. 
Not merely kindness, but dependable kindness. Not merely affection, but affection that has committed itself. Here is a truth that if we grasp grasp together today can absolutely change us. God doesn't just love you when he feels like it. Almost everyone else in this world will have feelings of love waning. God doesn't just love you when his feelings direct it that way. If that were the truth, then every time we messed up, if God's love was like the rest of the world, every time we messed up, then God's love would move backwards or forwards. We would love, he would love us more if we succeeded. He would love us less if we didn't succeed. But God's love is chesed love. It is faithful love. He does not love you when he feels like it. He does not love you differently when your circumstances change for better or for worse. His love is faithful, steadfast love. And this is an active kind of love. It's It's not a passive love, it's active love, it's pursuing love. God's love for you is pursuing. It's actually pursuing you. It says in Psalms 23 that this love, this faithful love, is pursuing you all the days of your life. Surely God's goodness and his chesed, his faithful, steadfast love, is in this moment pursuing you right where you are, not dependent on what you have done or what you have not done. Lamentations 3, this book that's all about tragedy and complaining to God. In the middle of this book, it says this beautiful, beautiful truth. It says, the steadfast love, the chesed of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. Every single day, there is not one circumstance, not one feeling that could change God's faithful love for you. Nothing changes that. So in a world where everything is changing, constantly, constantly changing, the good news that we have today is we have something. We have someone who is not changing. We have a love that is there. We have a love that is present, a love that does not wane when we fail. That is good news. Everything is changing, isn't it? And sometimes it's, it's easy to think that God might need to change with it. But I need to tell you what good news it is today. That, that in a, I mean, it feels like, like a, an earthquake sometimes, doesn't it? It feels like you can't get your, your footing. You can't get a hold of anything in your life because so many of our circumstances change. And the, 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 the realities that we hear about in the news feel so uncertain. But we have in that uncertainty, we have a certainty in the love of God. That chesed love, that's the kind of love that we see in the life of Ruth for Naomi. And as we talk about relationships in this series, this kind of faithful love that we receive from God is the only way that we sustain actual relationships and friendships in our life. And unless we tap into chesed love, faithful, steadfast love for one another, that that love of, of feelings and circumstances, that love that is just a passing glance, that love that is just going to, to fade away when we do not feel like it, it will not sustain any relationship, marriage, friendship, dating, anything, that kind of love will leave us empty. 
Tim Keller says that our, our culture says that, that feelings of love are the basis for actions of love. And, and of course that can be true, but it's truer to say that actions of love can lead to consistently to feelings of love. I want to read that again. Listen to that. It's truer to say that actions of love can lead consistently to feelings of love. We're not just thinking our way into a new way of living. We're living our way. We're loving our way into a new way of thinking. That's changing us. You know, we talk a lot about love and churches and loving our neighbor, loving our enemy, loving our city, loving one another. It's, it's, it's common in our language. My fear for, for us, for our community, for, for followers of Jesus in particular is that we adopt the world's definition of what love is and that, that we project that onto what it means to love our enemy, to love our neighbor, to love one another, to love our city. If we walk up these doors and, and, and say it's very popular to say we want to love our city, we want to love the folks who are not in here, we want to go out and serve them. Well, is it chesed love? Or is it the love that, that the world shows us, the love that when, we, when it gets hard, we'll be gone? When it gets difficult, when it requires sacrifice, when it means that I, I have to give my time or I have to give some of my money or I have to give, give uh, some of my in, the investment of, of who I am, when it becomes a sacrifice, that's when you realize that it's not a mission, it's just a brand. It's just a brand that we like. like the, and we move on to the next brand until that sacrifice comes, until we recognize that that real, steadfast, faithful love, it requires more of us than just what we feel in that given moment. Our, our love as followers of Jesus, our love should be different. There should be a noticeable, tangible difference in the way that we love one another, as Jesus says. The world will know what we're, we're his disciples by the way that we love one another. If it's just feeling and circumstance-based love, then the world is just going to say it's just like anything else. But when we live out chesed, when we live out steadfast love, that's what the world sees. And that's when they see Jesus. The book of Ruth goes on. It tells the story of how Ruth and her boldness of faith, she, she kind of circumvents uh, societal norms and she kind of stands in boldness as a woman. It's very very powerful what she does, and she, she ends up marrying one of Naomi's relatives named Boaz. And at the end of the story, this woman, Naomi, who has lived in such bitter circumstances, who lost everything she had, was at the lowest place possible by no fault of her own. There's a scene where she's standing, and she's in the city that she grew up in, and, and the women around are rejoicing over her as... She's got a grandson now by Ruth. And they say this, they say, Then the, the woman said to Naomi, Blessed be the Lord, who has not left you this day without a redeemer. And may his name be renowned in Israel. He shall be to you a restorer of life and a nourisher of your old age. For your daughter-in-law who loves you, who is more to you than seven sons, has given birth to him. Crazy thing is that this son of Ruth and this grandson of Naomi, his name was Obed. 
And Obed was the grandfather of King David. And King David was the great, 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 many times grandfather of Jesus. So imagine you're in a circumstance like Naomi at your lowest, lowest point. And someone comes alongside you and says, I will share your story. If Ruth chose to go back to her home, who knows what would have happened. But because someone stood with her, with that kind of love, who shared her story, who suffered with her, the result was more redemption than she could have imagined. Jesus Christ himself was the result of that faithful love that Ruth showed so long ago. And so if you're in a place right now where your circumstances are dark and and hurting, if you're dealing with depression, anxiety, as I know many have talked about this week, it's been a really heavy week in our culture. If you're wrestling with that, you need to know, just like Naomi, that Jesus is just not ashamed of you. He's not ashamed of your circumstance. He's not ashamed of your hurt. He's not ashamed of your brokenness. If you feel that lament, if you feel that need to cry, Jesus is a man of sorrows, it says, acquainted with grief. He knows the brokenness that you experience because he himself experienced it. A third of the Psalms are laments, are crying out to God. A whole book of the Bible is crying out to God. If you feel that brokenness very near to you today, you are not alone. In fact, you're in good company. You're in really good company. Jesus is not ashamed of your circumstances. He's with you and he is for you. See, the Jesus that came and became flesh, lived among us, he didn't just suffer with us as we see, he suffered for us. In our brokenness, the weight of that that was upon us, Jesus came and took all of the the weight of our sin, of our shame, of our hurt, of our fear, and he took it upon himself nailing it to the cross. And when he died, its power over us died as well. So today, as we move into a time of communion, I want us to remember today that whatever circumstances will come, and they will come, pain will come, things that we did not expect will come. You have a friend. Proverbs says this is closer than a brother. Someone who will walk with you who will suffer with you and by his grace has suffered for you today. And may our friendships, may our relationships today, as we go from this place, be an expression of that same faithful, steadfast love that God has for us. Let me pray and we'll take communion together. Jesus, this is good news. I've really sensed a a heaviness not only today in many of us but a heaviness this this entire week as our culture sees the, the the sting of death in ways that it did not expect it's easy to look out and to see the struggles that many are facing those who are famous, those who are not famous, the, the uncertainty of our world, the uncertainty of politics, the uncertainty of, 
of every single reality that we face in our own lives and to think that, God, maybe you're not in control. But today we remember that when everything is changing, you are not. So Jesus, anchor us today. This world is hurting so much. And God, when we can cry with them, when we can walk with them, not just suffering with them, but sacrificing and suffering for them is the same way that you've done for us. We get to show Jesus. And so empower us in that today to bear your kingdom in that way. We pray in Jesus' name. Today, uh, we celebrate communion together. We're going to have a team on either side here. And, and what we do is we take a piece of the bread and we dip it in the juice. The bread represents Jesus' body uh, broken for us. The juice represents his blood shed for our sins. And if you're a follower of Jesus, we just encourage you to come and take this. Remember the one who has suffered with you and suffered for you. You don't have to feel like you're, you're, you're left out. If you're new here, if you consider yourself a follower of Jesus, come and receive this, uh, this gift from him. Let's take communion together.